GalaxyCon Live is the place for you to hear about fandom from the celebrities who bring geek culture to life. Yo, Joe! Welcome, friends and fans, to another episode of GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing the convention experience directly to you. And today, we are fighting for freedom with seven fantastic actors from America's daring, highly trained special mission force. And now is the time for all of you in our chat room to begin typing in your questions for them. Immediately after this session, you'll have the opportunity to talk to them directly through our private chat options, as well as purchase for our selection of personalized autographs, all of which are available now at galaxycon.com. So now let's fall in and report for duty. Our first guest is an actor, comedian, and professional wrestler whose credits include Car 54, Where Are You?, The Three Days of the Condor, and Max Headroom. Today, he joins us as the voice of communication specialist Corporal Jack Morelli, codename Dial Tone. Please welcome Hank Garrett. Thank you for this wonderful intro. <laughs> I was who you were talking about. <laughs> oh, good to have you here, sir. How you doing? Very well. Thank you so much. So glad to have you here. Uh, now, I understand you have a brand new book that just released. The book. Oh, yes. I have. Uh, it's a book that's just been released, and thank God it's doing quite well. And it's called From Harlem Hoodlum. To a Hollywood heavyweight. Wow. It's about my life story. And uh, I started off like living on the streets in New York. My. As a kid. And uh, becoming a pro wrestler. I'm in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. The I'm Minnesota Farm Boy, I believe you were known as? Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> Minnesota Farm Boy. I'd never been to Minnesota. Never saw a farm. <laughs> a typical wrestling angle if I ever heard one. <laughs> well, sir, that is uh, so awesome. I assume this is available uh, where fine books are, uh, can be purchased. Amazon. Amazon. And uh, under the heading of books, of course. And uh, it's uh, a lot of talk about the possibility of be it becoming a film. Well, I think I just uh, found something new. I'm going to add to my Amazon wish list for Christmas. Once again, Hank, thank you for joining us here today. It's so awesome to have you. Thank you so very much. Very good. Our next guest, he is an actor, singer, and musician whose credits include The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin, Dumbo Circus, and The Land Before Time. Today, he joins us as the voices of Infantry Trooper Corporal Andrew Myers, codename Footloose, Canine Specialist Sergeant Stanley R. Pullenruder, codename Mutt, and Heavy Weapons Specialist Sergeant Craig McConnell, codename Rock and Roll. Please welcome Will Ryan. Rock and Roll. Howdy. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Oh. <laughs> How you doing today, sir? Not bad, not bad. I'm excited because Hank's new book finally came out, and I've been waiting for this for years. Seriously, he worked on one of my favorite shows, Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Which was a Nat Hiken show, and Nat Hiken's other filmed show was uh, uh, Sergeant Bilko or the Phil Silver Show, or You'll Never Get Rich. It had three names. Yeah. Um, great writer, great shows, and Hank was there. Speaking of favorites, you worked on one of my all-time favorite movies, The Wizard of Speed and Time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my rare on-camera things. I played <laughs> six or seven parts in that. I'm the head of the animation union. That's right. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I suggested to Mike Jitlov, the director, hey, it'd be kind of funny if we had uh, Ward Kimball in this scene. 
And he took me seriously. And, and Ward Kimball's in that scene. Ward Kimball being one of the Disney's nine old men of animation. Yeah. And the guy that uh, Walt said, you know, I'm not a genius. However, if there is one genius around the studio, it's got to be a fellow by the name of Ward Kimball. So I got to work with Ward Kimball in that film. That was That's fun. absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I adore that movie. Uh, I, it's, it's one of those movies I loan out to people all the time. Said, you've never heard of this, but you'll love it. Trust me. And they all come back and say, yeah, that was adorable. So wow. thank you for being a part of that. And thank you for joining us here today. <laughs> Our next guest is an actor whose body of work includes The Tick, Lost in the Expanse. Today he joins us as the voice of Silent Weapons Specialist and Stuntman for Frozen Fudgy Bars, Corporal MacArthur Ito, codename Quick Kick. Please welcome Francois Chow. Hey, everybody. Hey. Thanks for the great intro. Hey, guys. No problem. Thanks for joining us here today, sir. No problem. Oh, by the way, and, and seriously, though, fantastic job on The Tick. Oh, thanks. Uh, I mean, I've waited like 35 years to get that role. That's my favorite role so far. It was worth it. It was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. Well, awesome. Great job on that. And once again, thank you for joining us here today. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Our next Joe, he is an actor whose body of work includes Ben 10, Grand Theft Auto, and author of the book Parenting for the Digital Age, the truth behind media's effect on children and what to do about it. Today, he joins us as the voice of Chief Warrant Officer Dashiell Fairborn, codenamed Flint. Please welcome Bill Ratner. Yo, yo, Eddie. <laughs> I, I recorded all that. I'll be playing that before I enter every room for the rest of my life. Thank you. It, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely yours. Uh, it, take, it, take it with my blessings. And thanks for plugging the book. Uh, this basically is tell your children not to watch uh, anything but G.I. Joe and Transformers. Uh, this, this has got a whole chapter on Barbie, which I know that most of you are interested in, and uh, on G.I. Joe. But much more importantly is this book. Uh, it's not a, not a big book. It's an actual book from, uh, from Homes for All. Dude, blow, blow them up. And, and I got a G.I. Joe poem uh, uh, published called... The true life story of Barbie and G.I. Joe. And this is a steamy, steamy tale. So, yeah, I'd like you to go to michaelbell.com and he'll tell you all about it. <laughs> okay, absolutely fair. Well, Bell, thank you for joining us here today. It's so cool to have you. Our next guest, she is an actress, a dialect coach, whose credits include Archer, Grimm, and Dollhouse. Today, she joins us as the voice of Covert Operations Specialist, Staff Sergeant, Allison Hart Burnett, codenamed Lady J. Please welcome Mary McDonald Lewis. Yay! 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 Oh. Hey, Mary. Oh, have, so nice to have you here. Thank you. I, we've got a... Uh... A little Joe mascot joining us today, apparently. That's young Sullivan, everybody. Oh, uh, hello, Sullivan. So and Sullivan's one of the good guys. Be kind to animals, everyone. You know that's my favorite thing. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, like I said, well, so I was doing uh, doing my remembrance on you. So you've done a lot of really good work as a dialect coach on a lot of shows. I really enjoy. Um, how did you How did you get into that? You know, us voice actors. We're mouthy people. We like to swear. Really? I've never noticed. Spit and and uh, uh, speak in accents all the time. So it came to me very naturally, actually. And uh, one day the film commissioner of Oregon called me up and said, uh, you're a dialect coach, aren't you? And without missing a beat, I said, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and that's right ours. Yep, exactly. And that's that was about, golly, 15, 17 years now. And I've got to work with um, 
uh, with Patrick Stewart, gave him his first proper American accent, and David Tennant, and all manner of wonderful, wonderful people through the years. It's a, it's a terrific job. I love it. That is outstanding. Well, again, uh, I think I know the role that you did uh, for Stuart on, so definitely good job on that. Thanks very much. Yeah, he was a, he was a bad guy, and that's where he fell in love with pit bulls, by the way, and is now a, a, a pit bull um, foster dad. Yes, he is. Very much so. Well, hey, you know, the domino keeps falling. Awesome. Uh, our next guest is an actor whose credits include Spider-Man, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and Voltron, Defender of the Universe. Today he joins us as the voices of Desert Operations Specialist Corporal Ronald Tauter, codename Dusty, and Naval Operations Specialist Chief Petty Officer Hector Delgado, codenamed Shipwreck. Please welcome Neil Ross. Ahoy, mateys. How are you? I got the hat. I got this in an army surplus place. I went in. Do you have sailor hats? And they said, get out of here, you panty waist. But I grabbed one on the way out. And for the record, he also did the voice of Dreadnought Buzzer, but the bad guys are tomorrow. And uh, several Transformers, but, uh, you know, we won't mention any names. Dinobot Slag. Uh-oh. <laughs> Neil, how you doing? I'm doing well, Patty. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, I we I am holding the fort here in Central Florida. Um, and, uh, oh, my, well, I, it's, a, it's a pleasure to see you and all these old friends of mine. And uh, this is the delightful. Yes. And speaking of delightful, our final guest is an actor and teacher whose body of work includes Plastic Man, The Smurfs, and Star Trek. Today, he joins us in several roles, including Rotary Wing Specialist and Chief Warrant Officer Victor Sikorsky, codename Lift Ticket, Combat Engineer Charles Gorin, codename Tollbooth, Special Weapons Specialist Staff Sergeant Timothy Harrelin, codename Blowtorch, Motor Vehicle Specialist Staff Sergeant Lance Steinberg, codename Clutch, and finally, Field Commander and Master Sergeant Conrad Hauser, codename Duke. Please welcome back our friend Michael Bell. He hasn't changed a bit. Dimensional. This tea towel was made by one of the fans, which was so great. And they made one for my wife also for Victoria because she was uh, the She Hulk. So they made one up for her, which was kind of fun. And this is really cool seeing all these old faces. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Somebody's right back at you. <laughs> if you cut me in half, you can count the rings. <laughs> Michael, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Uh, good to see you again. A few weeks ago, we did our Darkwing Duck reunion. That was a delight. And now we've got you in the home element of G.I. Joe. And thank you, all of you, for joining us today. As always, we at GalaxyCon look forward to the day when we can get back and put you back on our stages and you back in front of your fans. But in the meantime, we have the GalaxyCon virtual stage. So glad to have you all. So our team right now is going through the chat room and pulling out the questions. In the meantime, I would love for our audience to learn about how G.I. Joe began for each of you. And I think if we go in chronological order, Michael, we will start with you first because you were in the first five-parter of the Real American Hero miniseries. Well, I slept with Wally Burr. Oh, excellent. And, uh, if, if, if anybody else did that too, just raise your hand and we'll go on to the next question. Uh, it's just, you know, the, you know when, when we went out, we just uh, were called on the job. At least I was called on the job. And they said, you have your choice of picking from these characters. And they had all these prototypes out there. And I picked the one guy I looked most like, uh, which was Duke, you know, with the blonde hair, crew cut, a lot of muscles, packing. Sure. Uh, so, hey, I, I look like this guy, so why don't you give me? And uh, 
they laughed and they were not giving to me anyway. So absolutely words. So and then in the second miniseries, Revenge of Cobra, Neil and Bill, I believe you joined the uh the roster then. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. There were only six characters, which sort of morphed magically due to economics into about eighty-six <laughs> characters. Yeah. And I remember I remember about a hundred of us. I remember there, you know, guys who were twice as old as me and Hank Garrett standing in line outside Wallaber Studio in Studio City. This line of actors holding these little black and white drawings of the characters they were reading for. And then Mary was standing next to me going, Yo, Joe, you're chill, chill, blood, blood. And I said, Mary, what are you doing? Reading my lines, dude. <laughs> and uh, one by one, we were called in there to be, uh, you know, uh, surveyed by Wally Burr and his minions and all the writers and all the executives, you know, executives from Sunbow and Hasbro. And there we were. And uh, I was cast, unlike Michael, uh, in the character that I look most unlike. <laughs> my, my pectorals look nothing like Flint's, but you know. <laughs> but it was a meaty part, though. Uh, you were the, basically the second in command. Yeah, 50 episodes. And the best compliment we ever got, Michael, I really I want you to cover your ears, is when when Duke and Scarlet were on, there's going to be a lot of talk. When Lady J and Flint were on, there's going to be a lot of... You know, <laughs> there, were, there was a lot of action. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we share a voice, Bill? Somebody once saw one of the something where it was your character, but it was my voice, or my character, and it was your voice. And I don't remember. They, it was some sort of a mix-up, and they just printed it that way. We, we did that when you and I were going out. That's before you and Wally. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Neil, how did uh, Shipwreck evolve for you? And, of course, it's his, his famous uh, af- vocal affectation. Yeah, it's a long, involved story, which I cover extensively in this book, which is titled Vocal Recall, A Life in Radio and Voiceover is available at Amazon and uh, Audible. And you could also go to a website cleverly titled neilbook.com, N-E-I-L-B-O-O-K.com. The only audition that I specifically remember, of course, was Shipwreck. I went in, did a couple of passes at it. I could tell everybody was underwhelmed. And then a guy asked if I had seen the movie The Last Detail, which, thank goodness, I had. Uh, A Jack Nicholson movie early in his career that sadly has been forgotten, although he was nominated for Best Actor for that role, didn't win, but still. Uh, But then he had some huge hits after that, and everybody forgot about it. But it's a lovely little Hal Ashby film. And there's a scene in a bar which flashed into my mind, and I knew what they wanted. And I did a voice that was Nicholson-esque. And so I launched into that. And the guy who had asked me the question winked and said, you got it, which is usually the kiss of death, by the way. But uh, in this instance, no, he was right. About a week later, my agent called and brightly said, well, you got the sailor part, sweetie. And uh, the rest uh, is history, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're right. That is a criminally underrated film. And that was before Randy, uh, Quaid went a little, uh, little cuckoo. <laughs> I believe it was around the, uh, that time, yes, or early before. <laughs> and then we go on to the third miniseries, Pyramids of Darkness, and that's when Mary and Francois' characters uh, joined the roster. How did uh, how did this come about for you guys? Was this, they had remembered you from earlier auditions, or is this a fresh, okay, we're doing another series, uh, why, don't you guys, why don't you come on in and, and read for us? Francois, you want to take Mary? 
Oh, thanks. I will. Thank you. Um, you know, I was in the uh, I was in the uh, the audition that that snaked around the block. Um, yeah. Along with everybody, and so they had clearly uh, already booked me for uh, Lady J um, by that time. Although not mm-hmm. initially, I wasn't called in for Lady J initially. I was called in for a very small role that would have occurred, I think, in the first series, the miniseries. Yeah. But um, something, something Wally heard in my voice, he liked, and you know, I grew up a tomboy, barefoot, riding bareback. Um, swimming my horse in the rivers in Northern California with my dogs and, you know, natural born tomboy. And so when he asked me to get louder, that was, that was Mother's move to me. And so I got louder and louder and louder, kept stepping back from the um, music stand and, and giving him a, an even bigger yo Joe. And I think that was how I got the part. Now, uh, I was not shown a picture of Lady J. I'll talk more in the panel about um, about uh, the uh, the uncanny likeness that we share, but uh, that that was an eventual surprise that I think uh, really took all of us by surprise, animators as well as as well as me, and and now the fans, of course, appreciate mm-hmm. it a lot. But it's been a it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. This this role, this show, my friends, everybody who's watching today. Yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, I, I, yeah. Your character was a blessing on on uh, to my eyes as as a very young man about to enter uh, teenhood, and I'll <laughs> leave it. I'll leave You're it. Welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, not, not the first time I've heard that story, my friend. We, we can all leave if you if you. <laughs> uh, to me, Snake Eye, uh, Scarlet was always Snake Eye's girlfriend, or in the cartoon, and it was Michael's. But uh, but anyway, Francois, tell us about how you know, quick you got your life for every. <clears throat> um, first of all, I have to say uh, this brings back incredible feelings of being very intimidated being in this group right now because. It's like, who doesn't belong here? This is how I felt when I first got the job. I got into, I walked in the room with all these great voice actors, and I was like, uh-oh, what, what, what am I doing here? Uh, I really, I had been, I had just gotten to Los Angeles like a few months before, and I got this job uh, of, of uh, Quick Kick, and it literally was like, oh, you can't swim? Okay, here, I'm going to throw you into the deep end of the pool, and you're going to have to figure out what's happening. So I got there. I auditioned for Wally. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. And then I, I got the job, and I went in, and I, I, I'm i trying to remember all these faces. I did meet most of you, but at that point, I was so, like, scared. I was just like, oh, my God, what's happening here? And everybody was doing all these great voices, and I'm just sitting there listening, watching, going, oh, man. Uh, you know, and then the, I think there were the, a few times uh, as we were working on stuff where <laughs> I think I looked at Wally's face <laughs> and I know he was thinking, my God, why did I cast this guy? What is going on here? Oh, no. <laughs> it was a big, it was a huge learning curve. And it, I mean, I, I, I'm so, um, was, I'm so appreciative of, how, of how, how much I learned from just watching everybody doing this stuff. It was great. It was, it was amazing. And uh, it, the, the character moves the needle a little bit. He was an aging character who did martial arts, but had a 100% American accent. Yeah, it was, I think, uh, I mean, 
maybe the the tiny beginnings of you know diversity where they thought oh let's let's do something weird let's just cast an Asian American actor uh, doing an Asian American part right and the weird <laughs> the weird part is the I mean everybody had a shtick so you remember Quick Kick was supposed to be a uh, retired stuntman yeah so he did all these really bad impressions of uh, of of Hollywood stars right. So for the audition, while well, he said, well, you know, do, do some, can you do something with of Hollywood stars? And I'm, I'm like, well, geez, uh, you know, uh, I, I've watched like, uh, you know, Rich Little once in a while. <laughs> and uh, so I started doing really bad impressions of, of John Wayne and, and Jimmy Stewart and, and some other couple other guys I could think of. And uh, I thought, wow, that's, uh, you know, that kind of cost me the job. But uh, I guess it was it was bad enough to to get me the job. <laughs> Fair enough, and the rest is history. And then we go on to uh, the series gets picked up for a full run. And Will, that's when you uh, join the roster. That's right, and, and luckily I was bad enough to get the job too. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, in the defense of Francois, you actually had the authentic voice. You were using your real authentic voice. The rest of us were doing phony voices. For example, oh, my audition so <laughs> was from Mutt, and I did various things for. Oh, I should mention, I, I I didn't sleep with Wally Burr, but I did save his life several times. So maybe that's how I got the audition. I just yeah. gave him money, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to argue with with uh, with Will's point. Wally was a, a realist, a naturalist. And it was one of really G.I. Joe and Transformers, uh, which were done by the same, you know, some of the, a lot of the same actors, directors, writers, et cetera. We're really looking for real voices, looking for real characters as opposed yeah. to a little kind of crazy cookie. And um, to Francois's comment, uh, it was really, as the show went on, it was very um, intimidating to be in a room with these, uh, every single great old character actor from the Virginian Gunsmoke on and on and on that, that I'd ever seen on television was suddenly in Wally Burr's studio doing parts in G.I. Joe. And so, uh, Francois, your comment was very interesting. I remember the first few days, just a few of us, but as, as, the, as the G.I. Joe team grew into like literal 86 uh, uh, characters so they could sell 86 action figures, um, they brought in a wonderful old uh, TV actress, film actress I hadn't seen in years. And I mean, they were signing autographs at the door, and while they were saying, "Come on, get up to the microphone," I think I think it was at Long Beach, and you were there, Bill and, and Mary. I think too. We had Keone Young with us, yeah. and we did a Q and A. And an Asian fella stood up and talked about what it meant to him to have an Asian character on television. That his friends who were Caucasian would come over, and suddenly. Here was a, an Asian character that wasn't an object of fun or derision, but actually was a, a hero. And uh, and it was quite moving. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll be joining us tomorrow for the bad guys. Well, you might ask him about that and see if he remembers. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let me ask Let me ask this. What's what's become a, a treasured memory that you, you have of being associated with G.I. Joe? My treasured memory is when Destro and Cobra Commander tried to light Duke's script on fire as he stood at the microphone. Michael, I don't know if you blocked that memory out. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this book is happening. Yeah. Scars, yeah. 
yeah. I have a treasured memory, and I, I haven't been able to find it. But there was one day when I showed up for GI Joe, and they had the little the call sheet uh, in the when you walked up the stairs and you opened the door, and on the right hand side there on the wall was this little sheet showing who's in today and the characters they're playing, and it was completely it went it there were maybe. 25 spaces but there were more than that of actors there were i think 34 or 36 actors in this 22 minute show so there was a xerox machine over there so i took that off the wall went over to the xerox machine and xerox it and put it back, tacked it back up on the wall i've got it somewhere i just haven't been able to oh it. nice but that was crazy that was crazy and and you're right we were cast for uh, natural voices but once, uh, as Bill pointed out, once they started increasing the number of characters, uh, not only would they get more actors, but we'd find ourselves doubling and tripling and, and yeah. whatever. And uh, so that's when it's it got uh, a little bit more uh, interesting. I don't want to say it was more I, artifice. And I believe the the rule of thumb back then was they could they could squeeze you for three characters an episode. That's right. Yeah. So that's very good. So who's got a who's got another one? Well, I just I just remember how much fun those sessions were. I used to tell people it's like going to the greatest party you ever get to go to. They just don't serve alcohol. And every now and then this annoying man interrupts and makes you work. <laughs> I mean, there some of the some of the older uh, actors and writers that they brought in on that wonderful raconteurs and storytellers. And I just, uh, rem and we were all crammed in this tiny, uh, it wasn't even a green room. It was just a inadequate reception area of Wally's, uh, and, and his poor secretary is trying to work. And people are telling stories and playing all the parts in the stories. <laughs> yes, Roger C. Carmel, I'm talking about you. And uh, how, uh, she, I said in my book, she probably he hears our voices in her sleep to this day. I mean, it was just, uh, it was, but I, I that that I always think of that when I think of either GI Joe or Transformers. I remember, you know, Patty. Um, uh, there was a lot of um, young women who came up to me in the very much the same way that uh, folks would come up to Kony and say that. This is the first time I've been able to see myself on the show. Lady J was the first short-haired heroine in animation history. Um, and she was also non-fetishized, which was pretty awesome. What, what people did with her in their own minds was, you know, uh, a treasured memory for me was the, the, the length of these sessions, which drove all of us crazy, but which did give us time to hang out in the lobby and, and tell those stories. I remember Michael Bell saying one day, you know, five or six hours into it. When I first pulled up, I was worried about getting a, a, a parking ticket out front. Now I'm worried about my car devaluing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember they were, they were a drag at the time uh, in some ways, but they've given us all of these wonderful memories. By the way, we weren't uh, on the hook for three voices, we were on the hook for endless voices for oh. one paycheck until uh, Michael and I yes. and some of the others here uh, got involved in the animation contract negotiation where we were on strike for two weeks total uh, in order to um, gain the right to produce three voices for one paycheck and then 
additional voices from from there. This is how I found myself talking to myself in the role of two other characters. Uh, in yeah. certain CGI Joe. It was all Mary Mac all the time, a couple of those scenes. And sadly, uh, as, as a result, Deke, the distributor production company, uh, said, okay, we're going to Canada. And thus ended most of our G.I. Joe careers. And the ensuing uh, one year of episodes of G.I. Joe, everybody was, you know, it's so cold outside there. I got my tongue stuck to the battery with these <laughs> accents. Yeah, the all-American hero with the all-Canadian voice. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. No, not at all. And again, thank you for that. As 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 an equity actor and a firm believer in my union, yes, I we're cousins, and any victory is 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 our mutual victory. Well, I think Deeks shot themselves in the foot. They, they did. Could have, they could have settled and said, "All right, let's do it." And they could have done another. It was so the, the show was so popular. I mean, look at it; it's airing on Hulu. Uh, you know, thirty-seven years later, they could have had uh, a, a much bigger windfall of cash. And cashed out their their stock options. Had they just said, "All right, fine, here here's a here's a raise." Uh, Our voices are still great, so they should call us all back for a revival. Right. The 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 great irony about GI Joe and Transformers uh, was that there were so many bean counter decisions going on in the background, more than any other, I think, animated show going on at the time. And uh, between what Hasbro required and uh, everything else going on too. There was there was so much going on that I'm still kind of amazed at the quality that Matt you you and the writing team and the creative on the creative side managed to squeeze out. So again, that's kudos to you all as actors. I have to say that uh, the the great great memory for me was, you know, um, I'm I'm a big TV watching guy from from when I was a little kid. So I've watched all those shows uh, from the, the 60s and 70s and so forth. And the great thing for me was. Uh, it was like uh, a fanboy's dream come true because I would go in and I would, you know, be sitting there and then I would see somebody and I would go, Oh my God, that's so-and-so from that show. Oh my God, that's so-and-so from this show. I'm sitting here right now and I, I'm going, Oh my God, Hank Garrett, that's the lethal postman assassin from, you know, three days of the condor. <laughs> 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 and I'm going, Oh my God, that's so great. This is, this is, this is what, this is the kind of stuff that I love. And being part of the show is, is is one of the things where I go, man, I got to meet a lot of people. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That, think- that is the great thing about a large cast of professionals, getting to uh, meet so many people. I've been working on another series where there were five of us regulars, and we did all the parts. And that, that was great, working with everybody. But this, you never knew who was going to walk in. Yeah, one, for sure. In the studio, a bunch of us are sitting on the floor waiting for our our scenes to come up. And I'm talking to this young woman uh and um and i ask uh, you know what have you been doing recently you know and 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 she she was um one of the stars of the the maverick uh series that had just returned to television about yeah. three years before it's like oh gee i thought I, I was in love with you two years ago you know <laughs> i didn't say that but i was thinking that <laughs> you know, uh, surprises Michael, uh, bring us bring us home. What's been your favorite memory to come out of GI Joe? I don't know if it's a favorite memory, but it's a memory. Um, Chris Latta, the late Chris Latta, oh yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, standing next to him when he was working, and uh, Chris was a stand-up comic. Yes, and Chris worked real hard. He's got that great voice. He had that great voice. That great deep. Mm. 
shouting and that high pitch, et cetera. And when he would do Cobra and things like that. And I noticed the first time next to him that, that when he moved his head, sweat flew off. <laughs> so I decided after that, that the next time we worked, I would find a mic at the other end of the room. <laughs> Every time this would say, so you are, and all of a sudden you would be sopping wet. That's an interesting approach, but I'm not going to be there. I'm going to go to the other end. I'll I'll put a mix of the girls. (laughs) Thanks, Michael. Thanks a lot. Very nice. Okay, I have just one more short short question, then we'll go over to the audience one. Uh, Did does anybody still have any of the figures of any of their characters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have I have a couple of shipwrecks that uh, some fans were kind enough to give me, and then somebody gave me a lovely, great big uh, Voltron, which I know we're not talking about, but everything's on the table. Don't worry. Any of all your voices are very nice. Well, in that case, then let's go ahead and go to our audience questions. And Jude, go ahead and roll our first one. And this is going to come from Jonathan, who wants to know. Did you take inspiration from any prolific figures or family members when developing a character voice? And this can can extend to your entire uh, voiceover career. Yes, I did uh, for um, uh, for Rugrats. Uh, uh, grandpa Boris, the Jewish grandpa, was my grandfather and my grandmother. Because when you came from the old country, you all sounded alike. When you were old, everybody sounded alike from the old country. And they looked alike. Men and women looked alike. And I chose to use that voice for that character. Yeah. Michael has a wonderful uh, description of what we do. He calls it uh, vocal Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) If you remember the game, you know, a little plastic oval and you put noses and ears and make the face different. We're sort of doing that with our voices. And so... A lot of times I would be flailing around trying to find a voice and I would stumble into something that they liked. And in the back of my mind, is I'm doing something. I've heard this before, but I don't know. And then maybe days or weeks later, you'd realize you'd, you'd done a sort of a ripoff of some um, character actor that you'd seen in a 30s movie or a 40s movie uh, or maybe something you'd heard on the radio. I can't, I can't say I ever... Other other than the obvious similarity between Shipwreck and Jack Nicholson, I don't think I've ever modeled anybody on any specific person or family member or anything. It's just this melange of voices rattling around in your head, and you just sure. start playing vocal Mr. Potato Head, and something comes out. I, I auditioned for, um, for Archer a couple of seasons ago, and the description said that they wanted a mid-Atlantic accent. And I thought to myself man, I got this. I got this because, you know, we all love those sort of, you know, those 1940s New York sounds and everybody sounded so glamorous. And, and uh, by God, I got cast. Then I was cast as uh, Veronica Dean, season seven of Archer. And she, uh, this is the whole, uh, this is the series where they did a whole takeoff on Sunset Boulevard. And yes. it opens with Archer face down in the swimming pool. And here comes Veronica Dean down the stairs in her gown, you know, and and so she was based on a collection, you know, the, the, like as as you said, the melange of town that uh, that we've all grown up with. Having these kinds of uh, memorex minds, by the way, is exactly the reason why everybody here spent a lot of time 
uh, on a chair out in the hall or sent to the principal's office in um, elementary school because we were jibba-jabba, jibba-jabba, jibba-jabba. We had a lot to say and a lot of noises to make. I know Billy and I have spent years uh, embarrassing our daughters with <laughs> making goofy noises in public spaces. It never, it never grows old. My daughter's 30 and I still love doing it. Yeah, it, it might be a gene marker for making weird voices. And you know, so. to, Jonathan's, to Jonathan's question, which is very interesting, um, I, I, my first conversation with, with Michael Bell, about I, I took a class from Michael in, in animation voice. Michael was doing about 10 series as a voice at the time. And um, I think, Michael, you said, well, you know, I, I name my characters. And so I could picture Michael Bell and Frank Welker and Neil and, and, and Will going down the freeway, going, all right, now it's Herbert Hoover. Uh, I, what <laughs> one said to me during a G.I. Joe session, Bill, do your other voice. So <laughs> and a security guard. But, but uh, to answer Jonathan's question, I think for me, my dad was a World War II vet and saw a lot of action on a destroyer mm. escort in the Pacific mm. and, and probably came back with PTSD and, and uh, who knows, but he used to kind of direct breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, like this. <laughs> and so automatically, when, when I'm asked to be, be this guy with a black beret and big pectoral muscles, <laughs> I sounded automatically like not, not, not because I thought about my father, but like, you know, uh, like Neil was saying, those voices are sort of swirling around. And if you have that weird genetic predilection to do you it, know, suddenly be another character, that stuff comes out. <laughs> Absolutely fair. And when you see yourself, and if you sat with everybody, with all the guys and the ladies, and you sit around and we're all preparing in the old days, not anymore because now everybody's doing everything by, by your MP3, you're at home. But in those days, we all saw each other. We, we all played. You would watch everybody working on their, whether we, I called it vocal baiting. Everybody would <laughs> Okay, great. And they just, uh, this is what we all would do. And I said, this, you're all vocal baiting. Everybody's <laughs> And that's exactly what we do. We do it out loud. We do it loud so we can hear it. And make sure it works. And but it, it's just sitting around. It was so great. You could pick up. So I always tell when I teach, I teach my class, I say, plagiarize, don't shade your eyes. That's why God made your eyes. So plagiarize. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. It's just gonna come out different anyway. So just go for it. So if sure. you do a famous actor, it's gonna sound a little bit different, but it'll be it'll help you get into that role. Yeah. Wait, I gotta write that down. If the glove fits, you must acquit. Was that what it was? <laughs> well, if Michael, the climb, you shall not do time. Michael, I, I have a, if, if you don't sound like Will Ryan, you ain't half Ryan. That's the one I go for. Half <laughs> Ryan. Uh, uh, Michael, I think that wouldn't you say that when you when you um, uh, did some of your voice work based on the folks who came over from the old country? that you had that rich um, well of, of possible Yiddish speakers at least one generation or two generations back. Exactly. And the, the, the addition of that kind of vocal, that sonic soul creates, creates something quite wonderful, don't you think? And that's going to kind of disappear because there's there's not many people from the old country here anymore. It's like everybody's homogenized. Now she lives in Beverly Hills. She has her hair done, has her nails done, her toes done. <laughs> yeah. You've yeah. got to go to Williamsburg to hear it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. So, uh, Will, how about you? Hmm. Well, um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking now this wasn't going to be my answer, but uh, I have played a, a character named Father Orion, and I have played a character named Captain Orion. And as I mentioned to you, Patty, my grandfather's name was Patty O'Ryan. Was uh, Pat Patty Ryan. Ryan. Pat oh, Ryan. And Pat Ryan, by the way, was a the hero in the uh, uh, Terry and the Pirates. Yeah, the Pirates. yeah back in the forties uh, with the Dragon Lady. Great, great. Oh, scene. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I digress, don't I? Frequently and often. That's and um, so, so yeah, so so naturally that would come. Uh, speaking of doing it, your grandparents' voices. And uh, uh, when, uh, when, when I auditioned for Mutt, my character, my audition was for Mutt, for, for Wally. I didn't really save his life many times, but, but only three or four. But, but um, I, um, you know, I, I did whatever the script said and did it uh, heroically, I suppose. And then he said, why don't you try an Eastern accent? So I did kind of a, I thought, oh, okay, a Boston accent, that. And he said, you know, New York. I thought, oh, New York, that's easy. I used to live, you know, I lived there, you know. And so, uh, I, you know, and perhaps I tried to channel um, um, Arnold Stang and did it really terribly. And so it came out heroically instead. But uh, I'm intrigued by Arnold Stang. I got to work with him a few times. And uh, he was a, a, a New Yorker. And he had this great, great, you know, chunky, what a chunk of chocolate voice, you know, if you remember him. And uh, his, he, did a, he was in a lot of movies over the years, going back to the 40s, but he did a movie called, Ar, uh, called Hercules in New York. Yes. And it starred, oh, you know, it starred Arnold Strong and Arnold Stang. So <laughs> the, the actor who changed his name to Arnold Strong uh, was actually Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that was his first film. Yes. As I said, I digress. And it was, it was, it was kind of completely dubbed over. It's like, I am Hercules. That's not me. This is me. Yeah, with that, with that, that lag. So, yeah, classic one. So, Francois, how about you? Uh, you know, I'm just listening to you guys. I had enough trouble finding my own voice. So, I, I didn't really <laughs> no inspiration from, from trying to find different people. Uh, it was just, it was like, oh, it was. It was actually. It was great that that Wally was looking for just somebody who just, you know, didn't have to do it, too many voices and come up with stuff. Sure. Uh, so it was. It, it was. It was me. Um, and you know, uh, quick kick here is me, <laughs> except for all the muscles and the you know whatever it is that he's he does. But that, yeah, that was it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Hank, can you hear us? Oh, hey, Hank. So while we still got what we still got you here, uh, real quick, the question on the table. Hey. Have you ever taken any inspiration from either public figures or family members when you were developing one of your character voices? Oh, he's Rosie. Well, Rosie Holly was a big fan of Three Days of the Condor. Uh, I won the New York Film Critics Award for Best Fight Scene in Film Ever. And uh, when I when I met Wally and we were talking just a moment or two, and he said, uh, "Were you a professional wrestler?" I said, "Oh yes." He said, "Wonderful. Now I've got two pro wrestlers: myself and Sergeant Slaughter." 
So true. We we sat there for a moment or two, and I kind of gave voice to dial tone, and he said, "You've got it," and that's how dial tone was born. Hey, that absolutely works. Only because <laughs> Wally was a sports athlete. <laughs> well, that absolutely Daddy. works. Quite hey, flattering that he remembered. Yes. Uh, I want to make sure. I want to make sure Hank, uh, did I cut you off, my friend? At one point, I, he's I on thought, a little bit of a delay. Sorry. Yeah, we should explain. Hank's on a delay, so it's yeah. yeah okay, I got it. Voice keeps voice keeps breaking up. That's fine. We we, we we got we got that wonderful story out of you. And first of all, say something. I want to say something. Please. Um, Tesla talked about having um, <clears throat> being challenged about finding his own voice. And um, anybody who's uh, spent any time having a look at Francois's work through the years or on IMDb will find that he did find his own voice, and that's the reason he works. And um, all of us who talk, and there are several of us in this group right here, know that the hardest voice to find is your own, your heart voice, I call it. And if you, and, and none of us is able to do any of the things we do with voices that are one step, two steps, three steps away, or on camera characters, Francois, which I'm very limited in, unless you found yourself first. So bravo you for your, for your uh, body of work and for reminding me of that very important truth. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I guess my I guess my voice would be, because my my body of work consists about 90% of uh, the bad guy. So uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing to find that voice. <laughs> hey, that's the tension plan. Whatever gets the gig, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good, bad, it's all it's all you get a paycheck. And okay, Jonathan, thank you so much. That was a great question. And unfortunately, GalaxyCon, uh, this has been my time with the cast of G.I. Joe, but it absolutely does not have to be yours. If you'd like to chat with any of our guests or purchase an autograph, please head over to galaxycon.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out our schedule of upcoming events like this one. Uh panelists, any final words for our audience before we go? I'd like to say yo. Joe. I'd like to say Joe. <laughs> Could we say it simultaneously? Can we say it all I, together? I, I'll, I'll give you the countdown. One, two, three. Yeah! And now you know, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> I love you guys. My, I love you guys. Uh, it's been my absolute pleasure to serve you all today. Once again, thank you for joining us here on the GalaxyCon virtual stage. Thank you to our audience for joining us today. Thank you for that great question. Hope to see you all again tomorrow, Sunday, December 13th. GalaxyCon Live will follow up this G.I. Joe reunion with a Cobra reunion featuring several actors who gave voice to that ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Until then, bye-bye, everyone. Take care, and please keep washing your hands. And now you know. Thanks, Patty. Wear a mask, Thank everyone. You. Thank you. Adios.